This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad Original, presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is my friend, Clint Emerson. Clint is a former Navy SEAL, worked in the intelligence community for quite some time, and then got out and started 100 Deadly Skills. Uh, Escape the Wolf is another one of his companies. He's got so much going on. His latest book is out now, The Rugged Life, which is right here. And he is also one of the hosts of SAS Australia, which is a huge worldwide hit that I hope will be coming to the United States at some time soon. It uh, started in the UK with SAS, Who Dares Wins, and has been incredibly successful all over the globe. And Clint was invited to be an instructor on this last season in Australia. We talk about that on the podcast and uh, get to catch up. And uh, I am so honored and humbled that he took the time to come on. So uh, for more on Clint Emerson, go to clintemerson.com. You can follow him on all the social channels from there. For sure, get the book, give it to your kids. This is fantastic and just love everything that he has going on. So now, without further ado, Clint Emerson. All around the world, it is a huge show. And I wanted to ask you about that um, because you filmed it during, as we did during COVID, with COVID restrictions in place, yeah. um, which were, you know, interesting. Um, but yeah, you're in that show, you know, SAS Australia. So SAS Who Dares Wins started, I forget how many years ago, but almost a decade ago now, at least seven or eight years, something like that. Like it's been. Yeah. Ant, Ant did the first eight or nine seasons in the UK. Yeah. With uh, the average Joe could sign up and see if they had what it takes, you know, in a very short condensed selection course that mirrored the SAS selection Mm -hmm. and uh, did really well. Um, And then Ant went ahead and jumped over to Australia to their from Channel 4 over to Australia's Channel 7 and then stood up one that is celebrities only. Uh, And it. Uh, yeah. And I, I jumped in on the, uh, the third or the fourth season. I can't remember which one in Australia. And it was our first year uh, that the show had nominations in two different categories to their equivalent of the Emmys. Um, didn't win anything, but still, it's really cool to be part of something that uh, is that successful. And Ant is is the man. I mean, he's he created all that. He's wow. done a great job spreading it around the world because now it airs in you know, several countries on several networks. So, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like worldwide, like, how do you watch it in the States? You know, I've, I've tried to figure it out a couple of times, but I haven't spent the requisite time that I need to, to figure that out. I'm sure there's a way to watch it either yeah. on YouTube or its own channel, its own website, or maybe through satellites or like, how do you, how do you watch it in the U S? Yeah. You, just a, you need a VPN. It's okay. the easiest way. So just download any of the VPNs on your phone, Mac, you know, any of your devices, and then go through your VPN, search Channel 7 SAS, and boom, you'll see all the episodes, okay. I believe, are on the uh, Channel 7 channel online. Okay. So it's blocked, yeah. though. If I try to go from my regular US, Safari, or Firefox, or Chrome, it'll be, right. I, I won't be able to get to it. Exactly. No different than your, your, your show is only going to be seen in the countries that Amazon made a deal with. Other countries, it'll be restricted when they try to, when, if someone is watch, trying to watch your show, let's say Thailand, and they click on it, it's going to say regionally restricted. Oh, the way around that, the yeah. way around that on, with anything is VPN. And, and if you get like a, if you get a paid VPN, you can actually go in and say, 
I'm in Thailand. Uh, and yeah. so then they think you're in the country. Then all of a sudden you're allowed to watch everything. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. it's uh that is interesting how they do that. And I think the, I think Amazon, cause people keep asking me, can I watch it in Canada? Can I watch it in the UK or can I, and same thing with audiobooks. I, people get reach out all the time and like, I can't get your audiobook. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, get a VPN maybe, but I, I'm like, I don't know if that'll work for them. I don't want to like be, you know, walking them yeah. through all, all the steps. Um, but uh, that's interesting with audiobooks and and uh, other books as well. Harder with an actual book, obviously, to get it set somewhere because you you have to fill in an address um, of, of of Ireland or you know South Africa or wherever you want it sent to. But watching something or listening to something uh, on an audiobook, I think with a VPN you can you can do that. But I think Terminal List is going like worldwide. People sent me something today from uh, Sydney, a big advertisement in Sydney, uh, New York. It's all over the place right now. Uh, Stockholm. Somebody sent me a picture from Stockholm today. Uh, so that's kind of kind of crazy to see it <laughs> all so over the cool, place. It's, it's wild. It is absolutely wild. You're crushing it. You're crushing it, Jack. Man. It's so fucking cool. It's crazy. It. It's crazy. You know, this is dead. <laughs> it's definitely a show that is not made for um, your, uh, let's say, like garden variety, stereotypical LA or New York film critic. Uh, it's made for everybody else. Uh, that's kind of how I'm, I'm framing it in my uh, in my mind. Uh, some of them are not going to like it before they even hit play. <laughs> They've already decided to hate it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but I think that's fantastic. That's fantastic because it plays into a lot of the a lot of the themes in the book and in our our lives in general right now. So um, yeah, yeah, we'll no see. Man. We'll see. But how did it work with the SAS Australia? So those guys reached out. You say yes. And then you you had to quarantine for like a month, right? Did you have to go to a hotel in Australia or something for a few weeks? Yeah, so it's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I, I uh, they, yeah, the, one of the producers hit me up and uh, was like, "Hey, we want you to kind of. We've seen you online. We've seen you do some stuff. We'd love for you to be our token American on the show." And I was like, "Yeah, all right." So I went and looked it up. I'd never heard of it, <laughs> so I went and looked it up and saw some of the episodes out of the UK and. And uh, I was like, all right, you know, cause you know, the deal, like sometimes, you, you know, you get hit up and it could be a, you just never know, right. Yeah. What you're getting yourself into. And so, and I never saw myself as like a TV guy. I, I have really no interest in it, to be honest with you, but, yeah. um, and I don't feel like I have the personality for it. And, uh, you do for anyway, this show. They, you certainly do for this show. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they, uh, they were like, no, no, you're, yeah, you're, you're you'll be fine. I was like, okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. So I fly, it's, it's, it's definitely pandemic. I fly from Dallas to LA to jump on the direct flight to Sydney. And what I didn't know was that I was the only person on that plane, right? So I'm sitting at the new terminal at the gate at, at LAX. I see the plane sitting out through the window and I'm waiting for the typical like boarding calls, right? Like first class, business class, blah, 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 all that prep stuff, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, nothing's really going on. Like, what's what's the deal? And I'm looking over at the gate and there's one lady standing at the podium and nothing, nothing, nothing. Then I see the 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 walkway retract from the plane and then the plane backs up and leaves. And I'm like, that's weird. So I go over to the lady and I'm like, hey, uh, did they put, is there maintenance issues? Why aren't you guys calling this flight? And they're like, are you Clint? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you're the only one that was supposed to be on that flight. You just missed it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I should have asked about this earlier. <laughs> so the entire plane was for me, right? What? And it took the Australian government 
to approve it. So now I'm like, oh no. So I call the producer and I'm like, uh, hey, uh, so that plane I was supposed to be on, <laughs> I, I literally watched it fly away. Like, and she's like, you got to be kidding me. And then that's when she educated me. Like we had to get approval for that flight to come in. You were supposed to be the only one on it. And I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Really? And so I waited in LA for four more days to get reapproval for a new flight. <laughs> With just you on it? Just me. They sent two. And, oh my. It seems like, you know, in your defense, it seems like that would have been a good thing to give you a heads up on ahead of time. Like, yeah. hey, just so you know, uh, you're the only person on this flight. Uh, so, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like a couple a little heads up might've been, uh, might've yeah. been appropriate. I'm, si- I'm sitting there, you know, it's a nine o'clock, 10 o'clock flight at night. I've got my, I got my coffee. I'm ready. But I just, it never crossed my mind that I'd be, that's how restrictive they were though. I mean, we all heard about it here in the States. Like they, they had 500 cases and they locked the whole country down for months. Right. And so the flights, they weren't letting anyone on it. And uh, so unbeknownst to me, obviously four days later, plane pulls up, of course I'm on it. And it's just me in first class it's the current crew, and then it's the turnaround crew on the plane. That's it. And so, are they like, who are Australia. you? Do they know? Are they like asking you? Or are they? You're like, yeah, they, who do they, they think knew. you are? Oh, they knew. They knew that I was. Hey, I was like the new DS on this 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 show. And um, D, what is so DS? Like a drill? What does a drill, DS stand for? Uh, direct staff. Okay, that's the, what the SCS calls their you know buds instructors. Okay. Um. So they all kind of knew, and uh, were they fans so of the then, show? The, What's that? Were they fans of the show? Did they like know about it? Was anybody like some oh, of them? Man. Yeah, some yeah. of them actually knew about it. They all knew who Ant was. It was all new to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we land. We land in Sydney. Everybody is dressed like something out of ET with their like you know Kim bio suits on. I'm oh, the I only know. guy. Good reference. Walking through the air. Uh, the only guy with a police escort through the airport. Get through customs. They throw me in a car. Police escort to a hotel. Police escort to my room, and then they put me in this apartment and said, "Okay, you got to stay here for 14 days." And they put a cop outside the door 24 seven. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was like, "Holy crap, man! You guys are taking this a little too serious." But uh, wow. Um, and then 14 days later, you test. I got out. They escorted me straight to the set. And then the next day we started filming. You went 15 days straight. Each day is an episode. Put me on a plane, sent me back to the States. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Each day yeah, is an pretty, episode. No. Yeah. That is pretty efficient. I mean, that's pretty efficient for the film. It's genius. Maybe, maybe not the, you know, staying in the hotel and the private flight <laughs> across yeah. the Pacific. But, uh, yeah. but the actual filming, that sounds. And who, is, who else was on that one with you? Who was on your, uh, your season? Okay, so we've got two of the originals, which is Ant Middleton and Ollie mm. Allerton, right? Uh, yeah. Both of them SBS guys. And then me and uh, Stotty, you know, Dean Stott. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were the two new guys. And then I was the only token American. And then we had roughly 20 celebrities, uh, very famous folks in Australia, not yeah. necessarily we would heard of here. Right. But you're talking Olympic athletes, you know, professional rugby or professional soccer, reality stars over there. Um, And then and then the games begin. And what's really cool about that, what I really enjoyed about that show 
is it's it's a course first and a TV show second. Ah. So it is truly the four of us running these 20 people with zero interference from a production crew. Nothing. You like you don't even see camera dudes or audio dudes. They're always hidden. So it's wow. a true experience for the recruits and yep. it's a true experience for us. And they're like, you know, 18 hour days where we are, we're running them through the fucking ringer, man. Yeah. I mean, and then by the end, there was only three, three people who completed the course, in, you know, 14, 15 days. So it's, wow. it's a true selection course being run truly by us with zero interference. They're sleeping in their barracks. We're sleeping next door together. You know, we're all living it for 14 days straight. It's wow. pretty cool. That is pretty yeah. wild. I, I did a podcast with uh, Dean Stott while he was over there, while he was in quarantine for those couple of weeks. Yeah. So I had, so I, I had him on <laughs> during, during that time frame. Um, but man, that is wild. So you got 14 days, you're locked down. You do this 15 days, one episode a day. Um, and it's, like, I haven't, because it's, you know, not on in the US. Um, I hope it does come on here because of all the shows out it there. It's, uh, I mean, it seems like a natural thing and I don't know why it hasn't. Maybe, you know, people in, you know, senior level executives in, uh, in our entertainment industry are a little like, what's the SAS? What's the SBS? Who are these Brits? No, like, rumor, rumor, rumor has it. It will be coming on a major network here in the United States pretty soon. I'm surprised so, it's taken so you long. Didn't hear, you didn't hear that from me though, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've heard that rumor. Um, but I'm just surprised it's taken so long because of worldwide popularity, you know, maybe because they're like, oh, a rugby star, a soccer star, like what? Like, you know, um, yeah. so yeah, I think it would resonate here. Um, but man, what a crazy experience. And, you know, yeah, the, the parts fun. that I've seen, like the clips on, uh, on the different guys, the different SAS and SBS guys is, uh, Instagrams and, you know, social channels. Um, it looks like there's some emotional, like seriously emotional times and, and elements that, uh, that are very naturally occurring as these people go through this course. I mean, how, uh, what did you see during your, your time there? Yeah. It, um, it's a genius format. So think of Big Brother, yeah. right? Because you got all these celebrities living together, sleeping on cots and eating lettuce and like crown beef every day. Yeah. Okay. Then you've got the survivor element because they're given these outlandish, crazy tasks that they have to do. And we're talking helicopters, jet boats, and yeah. shit's blowing up. It looked I mean, dangerous. Pretty, like your season dangerous. in particular that I saw looked dangerous. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. I'm not sure if they would do that in the States like a couple of times. Yeah, no, it's yeah. And, and it's, and it's the four of us yeah. literally running those evolutions from, from a safety point of view, performance point of view, it's all us and them. And then, but the, the third element that makes it a winner, no matter where it is and no matter who's in the show is what I call the Dr. Phil moment uh -huh. where we pull them in to interrogation yeah. and because they're sleep deprived, uh, yeah. The sleep deprivation and they're getting just worked. It's very easy for them to just, they, they can't keep that celebrity facade. They yeah. just can't keep it. Wow. So they end up breaking down, crying and revealing uh, their true selves to the audience. And the, because of their, these huge highs and drilling and adrenaline and then these, these, these lows because of how they're having to live for a very short period of time, when they get in front of us as the DS is now interrogating them, they just break. Nice. And yeah. when you put it all together, yeah. man, the episodes, I mean, I only watched two of them out of the 14 because that was like, I can't watch myself as a stupid, but <laughs> it was, uh, but the show is awesome. I mean, it was just, it's a, an incredibly 
well edited, well done show, and it's real. That, yeah. I think that's the key takeaway. It's a real experience for everyone, to include us. You yeah. know, man. And when you do those interrogations, are you guys? Uh, it's hard to tell from the clips that I've seen. Are you guys all in there, or you get assigned to a single person, and it's just one on one? Yeah, we we rotate. So there's always two of us okay. asking the questions. One guy. So one instructor goes and gets them, puts the bag over their head and walks them into the interrogation room, sits them in the chair, pulls the bag off their head. And then they're sitting, they're always going to be sitting in front of two of the DS. Mm. And then we all rotate through those different positions. So it's all equal. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah. And then, and then we usually just kind of go like, what's your deal? You know, like what, what, you know, there's usually a performance issue that all of them have had. Uh and when you're talking about Olympic athletes and professional athletes, they're not used to not being able to do something. Uh, and so they inevitably, every single one of them fail in their own way. And they just don't know how to handle it sometimes. And then that's when they reveal their true selves. And it's like I said, it's, it's genius. It's a, it's a great format that you get to see some crazy adventure, but yeah. at the same time, you get to see people just get broken down to their human level. Yeah. And, and it's also very interesting. I mean, like some of the stories that those recruits have and that they reveal, they're doing it for the first time. They're doing it on camera, but the way that it's set up, you don't even remember there's cameras around you. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, man. And uh, so when you brought those people in there for the interrogation phase and they're sleep deprived and they're hungry and they're tired and they're this incredibly emotional experience and it's, bag thrown on their head. Essentially, they're like, you know, being grabbed off the street in Beirut or something like that. And it's <laughs> yeah. sat down on this chair and their bag torn off. And there you are, bam, right in front of them, you know, um, controlling that room really. Um, gosh, what was some of the most, were there any times when someone would leave and go back and you guys would sit down together or just be like, whoa, I can't believe that just happened. Or, you know, like, oh yeah, what? that was rough or I can't, like, what were some of those experiences like? There, I mean, so, some of them, it was hard on our end to remain straight faced and yeah. not, I mean, you can't help, but, you know, let, let's say like one of them had lost their father, you know, at an early age and, and she was very emotional about it. And, uh, you know, I lost my dad the day that I got my trident, you know, out in San Diego and, you know, I'm getting one minute, I'm getting my trident the next minute. You know, I'm identifying my dad at the hospital, putting him in a body bag and flying him on American Airlines back to Dallas. So for me, when she started talking about that, it took everything I had not to like fall apart with her. You know what I mean? Because it was like, oh, whoa, this is like hitting close to home. So there were several instances like that. Um, And once again, I think that's that's like such an important and great part of the show is because it's just so human, so real. And and it definitely left us multiple times. Like when they get re they put the bag back over their head and they're escorted out of the room, you know, whoever I'm with, we're sitting there just looking at each other like, whoa, like that was that was tough or that was hard. Um, but our job is, you know, obviously try to maintain the neutrality and all of it <laughs> without breaking down and crying with right. them or laughing at something they say is actually funny. You know, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it, I learned a lot through that because you know, I had never been in that position before. And 
And then you also, at the same time, with the things that we have experienced with loss, whether it's in the military or with your own family, um, there was a little bit of connection there because it's like, wow, you know, I'm not the only one, obviously, that has to deal with this shit, you know? So everyone deals with it in their own way all the time, you know? Oh, gosh. What yeah. Emotional show. What, what happened to your dad the day, of, day you get your trident? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he had... Uh, it started, I mean, he came out for the Trident and he had, uh, my dad was a, a motorcycle collector. So he had had a 1970 Triumph Trident. He rebuilt and like totally pimped it out for me and put two Tridents on it. And keep in mind, this is the same type of motorcycle that Evil Knievel used to jump over cars, you know? It's an awesome triple. It makes Harleys sound like Hondas. I mean, it was an awesome bike. He blacked it out, put the Tridents on there. Drove, um, put it on the back of the truck, brought it out to me uh, when I was getting my bird. And um, th that morning, he uh, he went. I lived in downtown San Diego at the time in a condo, and so he was he he left to go get a newspaper at the corner store, and uh, never came back. I mean, this was before cell phones and all that, and and uh, I couldn't find him. I mean, I I like literally drove all over the freaking place, and just couldn't find the guy. And it took hours and hours and hours for uh, uh, the hospital out there to finally get a hold of me through my uncle and said, hey, you know, your dad's at the hospital. I'm like, Holy, what, what happened? You know, and he uh, he's like, I don't know, but I heard him in the background, you know, so just head over to just head over there. And so I, I head over and um, and at the time, my little brother was with me and we're 11 years apart. So he was he was really young. And, uh, and I had done my paramedic runs in San Diego, you know, when I went through 18 Delta and stuff. So I knew that particular hospital really well. So when we walked in and said who we were, they started to walk us back to the room where they sit you down and tell you someone's passed, right? And as soon as I saw us heading in that direction, I was like, oh, oh no. I broke right and I went in and I saw the first set of curtains that were completely closed when I opened it up. My dad was laying there in his body bag. His head was exposed and, uh, and he had his ET tube just sticking out of his mouth and they leave all that stuff in there for the autopsies. But basically he had had a massive heart attack in between. He was crossing the street and he was in between two parked cars that were parallel parked. And as he passed in the middle, that's where he had the heart attack. So nobody saw him. Um, and a lady that was coming down to get in her car, you know, noticed this body laying you know, at the back end of her vehicle called 911, but it was, you know, it was too late. I mean, he was 46 years old. You know what I mean? Like he was, I, I just passed up his age. You know, it's crazy to think that, you know, he died that, that early in life and he was one of the smartest dudes I ever knew, but yeah, it was, yeah, just <laughs> horror. Yeah. You know, I was getting my trident. It was the 4th of July demonstration that we used to do in Coronado. And I was, I was going to be one of the divers that comes up out of the water and walks out into the crowd, you know, and all that. And it was just like, uh, so now every time we're approaching 4th of July, I'm always like, oh man, it was just a horrible, horrible moment. Right. But you know, we all have to face that some point in our life, but my dad just had to face it a little too early. Oh man. I'm so sorry. That is crazy. Jeez. And then you're at this SAS Australia thing and people are coming in saying the same. I mean, that's just, yeah, it was. Right. It was an eye opener that, you know, you're not, we're all, we all have our struggles. We all have, uh, 
you know, stuff that happens, you know, you just got to figure out how to get through it and keep driving forward, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I noticed that same thing. I hadn't really thought about it before because it was my first experience in Hollywood, but, uh, you know, 350 people on this set for let's say five months. Um, and they have lives going on, you know, and they have family members passing away. They have family members getting sick. Um, they have all these issues. So you have, you know, a showrunner in this case, David DeGilio, um, who is managing the show, but as a leader, you're also just like as a platoon commander, a troop commander, a chief, a troop chief, like you're still involved in the personal lives of all these people on set. Cause yes, it's a job and it's a profession and everybody's operating at the, you know, the highest levels, but at the same time, they have lives going on 350 of them. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so I really did think about that on set, um, because everyone there is so specific in what they do that if they're missing for a day, like that Lamborghini that's flying down the track is going to need to pull over, um, and need to get worked on before it can get back on the track. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, my, my Chevy's rattling a little bit, eh, whatever, you know, we're going to keep pushing forward here. You know, it's not, it's not like that at all. Um, and so, you know, so I just hearing you tell that story, you know, I, I just reminded me of, of, of that, that you're, yeah, it's a profession and these people are making a yeah. show, but it's also intensely personal, especially one like, like you're doing with SAS Australia, where you are intentionally putting these people in a position to, uh, to wear them down and make them vulnerable to share things that maybe they've never shared before. Um, and then to capture that on camera and it's not just them, but it's you guys in the room because you're bringing life experience to it as well. You know? Right. That part yeah. It's fascinating. Golly. It has, yeah, it has its own highs and lows for everybody involved, but that's what makes it such a great and addictive show because yeah. it's, it's, it is a hundred percent real yeah. from beginning to end. I mean, these, everything from, you know, the, the tasks that we're giving them to those, to those moments in the interrogation room, it's all real. There is yeah. nothing. And, and there's absolutely no one saying cut or, yeah. Hey, can you say that again? Right. I mean, none of that. Like if you yeah. say something stupid, guess what? Right. It's, <laughs> it's on there on forever. Uh, I know that's rough. That's why, you know, in podcasts like this, you just, you kind of can let your guard down because even if we don't edit it, which, uh, you know, I can imagine that we would ever edit it. Uh, but you know, it, you know, in your head, Hey, like if I go off the rails here and say something crazy, uh, well, we can take it out. Or in a few minutes I can go back and say, Hey, you know, when we were talking a few minutes ago about X, Y, or Z, I don't think what I said came off quite right. What I meant to say really was this, like you can correct it. You know what I mean? Because yeah, no. it's a conversation and it's more relaxed, but if you're like on that, that you did, or well, you're not going to recapture that moment, you know, like you pull that hood off, you ask these questions, you know, like, like that's the moment you're not being like, okay, get back in yeah. character. Cause they're real. Um, but like if you're on like Tucker Carlson or something and you know, you have one minute and 30 seconds and you're in that chair and you're staring at this screen that you can't even see, the host, because it's just, I don't know why it's just this black screen. You can hear them, but you can't, there's no body language. There's no cues. You know, there's none of that. So you're just staring at this black screen and you have a minute and 30 seconds. And then they ask you this question and maybe they frame it in a way, or maybe the guest before you answered what they said they were going to ask you. And now they just throw something out there that you were, you know, haven't prepared for. And you just gotta, you know, yeah. what you say is live. 6 million people are watching and it's out there forever. 
Uh, so that's just the added stress, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like the added, like, you know, whereas you don't have that stress in a conversation like with us, but when you're thinking 6 million people, a minute and 30 seconds, I'm staring at a black screen. Okay. This is a controversial issue anyway. Uh, and then they throw something at you kind of sideways. It's like, ah, oh, it's just, you know, this yeah. is much better. I like this. Yeah. I like this much better, I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. But, uh, man, in doing that show, were you ever like, this is a little dangerous. Like, man, how long has it been since I did, uh, you know, the uh, fast rope or whatever you guys are doing? Like <laughs> it might've been a couple of years. If we had that manual or get on YouTube real yeah. quick, like, were you ever like, man, this is uh, this is a little dicey. Yeah. Multiple times a day, <laughs> multiple times a day. There, there was, it was so funny. It was Dean and I both. Cause like, we're the new guys on the show. Right. And so we'd always go to aunt like, Hey, are we, uh, we're going to, we're going to rehearse this. And no, mate, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it, right? I mean, it's typical like team guy yeah. mentality between the four of us. Like, we'll we'll figure out how to get through this when the time comes. Don't worry about it. You'll it. be fine, right? I love it. And so I remember they're like, hey, Clint, um, we got this big aircraft fuselage and we're going to just crash it into the water. It's going to flip upside down and then you need to demonstrate how to get out. And you're going to be seat belted in and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it's, it's helo dunker stuff. The worst. But, I hate but it's the helo different. Dunker. It's oh. different because the water is like, you can't see two feet, two inches. In so it doesn't matter if face. you have a blacked out mask on or not. You're like, you can't see <laughs> yeah. anything anyway. Yeah. And, and, and they're using like this weird water reserve that's high in sulfur. So I was like, can I open my eyes in this or what's the deal? They're like, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, go ahead. Like, did you test it? Like, no, you're the first one. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> did so, you open your eyes? I'm, yeah, oh yeah, I opened my eyes. It didn't burn. I was actually uh -huh. surprised. And you know, your seat belted in. I'm kind of going through the motions again. Like, right. okay, find your what is it? Find yeah. your reference point, right? Find a reference point. Yeah, all your index points, right? Index like, points, okay. Because everything's going to be upside down and backwards by the time. And I hadn't. I, I just got. I just got out of quarantine. This was the first thing I'm doing. Right. right? Oh. So first, the, the the fuselage goes into the water. The water was freezing cold, oh. and you got cameras on you. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh yeah, this is going to be televised." So I got to like. Pretend the cold water doesn't affect me because I'm a seal. Right. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep a straight face, even though I'm trying to like, <laughs> oh you know, freak out. but um, anyway, and then, and then it gets down, then it flips over. You wait until all, all, you know, all Settles. movement stops, go through the procedures, unbuckle, find your index points, make your way towards that little glim piece of light that represents a doorway, go through the door, go to the surface, thumbs up you're good to go. Somehow, you know, all of our training, uh, if you've done it long enough, like you and me, 20 years plus, it's there, right? And so it all came back and everything was fine. And then same with like, there was this huge repelling deal we did. And, uh, you know, some things got kind of got backwards. Like once we were out there on these cliffs and they're like, you know, hey, Clint, you know, teach them teach them real quickly how to get in their harnesses, this, this, and that. And it was funny that first master piece just came out. Like all yeah, of a sudden I'm like, okay. you know, the most important aspect is putting on the, you know, when you buckle down the waist, red is dead. Make sure you double it over double when you're on. doing your harness, make sure the harness is above your iliac crest, because if you flip upside down, that's what's going to prevent you from slipping out of your harness. All that verbiage, like yeah. just started coming out of my mouth. Right. Wow. And, uh, and then I'm, and then afterwards I'm kind of like, wow, I actually pulled that off. <laughs> you know, like it's uh yeah, every single day, multiple times a day, either it, because you're having to demonstrate it or because you're having to teach it, you're constantly kind of going, okay, I hope I still remember all this stuff, but sure enough, 
it all works out. <laughs> oh my Lord. What's uh, Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I think I saw on one of the guys is um, Instagrams, a video of that repelling. And I remember thinking, wait, that looks dicey. I remember that just, that stands out to me. Um, but man, the helo dunker training was one of my worst experiences just because of how uncomfortable it was. Like I did it and everything, but I, it stands out over those 20 years as being a very uncomfortable evolution. And, uh, and that's in a pool and you can, I mean, you can see when you do the one during daylight and then you put on this mask as you remember, and you, it's all blacked out yeah. and you know, you're doing it at night. Um, but that thing hits and it rolls. And like you said, you settle, but like sitting here, I can go, okay, index point. There it is. Okay. Check. You know, my belt's here. Check. Simple enough. Two things. Grab. There's the door or the window. Pull and I'm out. Right. As soon as I dropped and that thing hit and went upside down, done. My yeah. takeaway was that if I go down in a helo in the water and it flips and sinks, like, yeah. I, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Oh my gosh. That, that is awful. So imagine doing it, how you're doing it in this freezing cold water with cameras on you. You're the seal guy and boom, it drops, it <laughs> yeah. flips over. And you're thinking back to all these years ago when you actually, actually did it. Oh my gosh. How did the, um, how did the contestants do or the, I don't know if you call them contestants or not, but how did the, yeah. uh, how did they do when, when that, when it came to The recruits, I mean, the recruits overall, I mean, do they do a great job. Some of them are like, screw it. And they just go out the closest window that was close to them. Yeah, those are the smart you know, ones. Just course, get out of here. Right. And of course, that's just an opportunity to yell at them, you know. Uh, once the evolution started my job, I was the actual guy in the water. Uh, so I was like the safety guy. So I'm did always- Did you have a safety guy when you did it? Did you have a diver down there? Yeah, there's a, so okay. there's a diver in the aircraft at the front watching you. Okay. Um, which was Dean, right? Okay. That was his job during that evolution. Then I'm the guy on the surface pulling people out of doorways when they get stuck, you know, and making sure to bring them to the surface. So me and him both were having to literally save people a couple of different times, you know. Uh, but for the most part, they all um, made their way out through the proper door. Uh, but I got to say, I, there was times I was scared for him because I'm like, yeah. you know, this is not like, there was no big grief. There was no rehearsals. It's just throw them in the plane. <laughs> it crashes into the water. It flips upside down. And, you know, <laughs> so for me, being a safety guy in that position, you're yeah. kind of like, holy crap, I got to be on my toes, right? So most of the time, as soon as that fuselage would roll, yeah, I'd take big old, take a big, big breath. And then I would go down, get right by that doorway. And even though the visibility was limited, I just wait for those glimpses of movement. And then sometimes I'd have to go inside, grab them and drag them to the door and then push them up to the surface because they just, you could tell, they just didn't know where they're going or they panic or whatever. But wow. even as the safety guy, you know, it was, it was definitely high stress. <laughs> wow. And that's a lean staff having Dean on in, on, in scuba gear in the front, you're pulling people out. You just tested it for the first time. Like that's a lean staff right there. That's And, and you're feeding these people. What'd you say? Some lettuce and a little bit of ground beef, like a low overhead, you know, <laughs> except for your yeah. flight, your flight. That's probably why they needed to do that. Cause your flight was uh, probably a little bit costly. Uh, man, what an incredible experience. Has anybody gotten hurt? Um, do it like really hurt on the, any of the seasons? Yeah, we've had, we had some injuries in ours, nothing major, but yeah, they've had, they had, uh, you know, I can't speak to them cause I wasn't there, but there were previous seasons, certainly like some close calls yeah. and I gotta be straight. I mean, it, it sounds like we're just winging it, but, um, you know, 
the safety piece is number one. So when it comes to safety items, uh-huh. we were very serious about it. Yeah. The four of us, no doubt about it. Right. I mean, you're checking, double checking every little thing. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's really now you're just controlling performance, right? Uh-huh. You're controlling your performance, you're controlling their performance. So if yeah. they're, if they're dropping off a little bit, you're there, you're there to kind of get on it and make right. sure they're good. Um, so, so even though it sounds like it's very like yeah. last minute kind of winging it, you, 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 we have plenty of time where it needs to be serious to be very serious and make sure things are, things are there. But, um, but when you watch it, it may not look that way. <laughs> yeah. What a cool experience, man. What a cool experience. Yeah, yeah, it was great, man. That is really, it, that, you know, what man. was cool is, is the camaraderie. Cause I've noticed since I've been out, I've a hundred percent missed working with that team environment and being with the guys. And it wasn't until I showed up there that I was like, I'd never laughed so much in my life. Right. Hanging, you know, we're all just having fun with it. And, uh, and you just didn't notice that 18 hours a day and yeah. in, in 15 days straight went by like that. Right. And you're just like, man, I miss that. Right. I mean, it's no different than being in a, in a troop or, you know, part of your little fire team, you know, yeah. it's like, it's you and your buddies and you're getting it done every single day. And you don't even notice that 30 plus days at Nyland went by in right. blazing heat or an entire six month deployment went by and you're like, Holy crap. You know, like right. we did that. We survived that, you know, super cool. And I, I, I just realized that at the end of the day, that was the, the uh, it's a missing ingredient in my post-career life is huh. having the guys around you. Like I work kind of alone for most of my stuff that I do kind of like you to a yeah. certain degree, right? Write books, you're yeah. alone. Yep. You know, it's uh, and then, and then, any of the other projects I have going on, I'm alone. I don't have a team in here with me at my shop. You know, right. it's me. And I, man, I realized like, man, I kind of needed that. It came at a good time to kind of re-energize me. Man. And you were a solid crew. I've had a lot of those guys on the podcast and we've stayed in touch with each other and uh, have plans to, to link up in person. And they seem like such a, a solid crew, especially doing for doing something like that. And, um, and before I get to your book, I just want to ask one more thing about this uh, SAS experience in Australia. But every day is there like one major evolution, like one, uh, one big test type of a thing. And then so each day, you know what's coming. Like, hey, we got this. Here comes the uh, the aircraft fuselage thing. Okay, tomorrow it's the cliffs. Uh, the day after that, it's, I don't know, surf passage or whatever you're doing. Um, yeah. Is every day like one major event like that? It's two It's two major events each day. Two a day. Dang. Yeah, and then, so in the middle of all that, so like, for example, um, on the fuselage day, that afternoon was the beehive, right? Mm-hmm. And I was running that evolution. Remember the beehive from Buds? Yes. So yeah, in the pool, that, right? Right. Just yeah. claustrophobia. Yeah. You got full kit on and you feel like you're drowning. And everybody's right? around you, right? Um, Doing their, like every, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You put on masks, you make the, you make them fill with up water, their masks right? with yeah. water and then you force everybody tight together. And before you know it, everyone's drowning each other. And that's yeah. what happened. And they freaked, they freaked out the producers. Even when it was all said and done, they came up to me like, uh, Clint, we thought for sure somebody was going to die. Good job. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, so they have fuselage and then they had beehive. And then in the middle of that, there are rules that are built in. Like number one rule is you always have to have dry fatigues mm. and they're only issued two sets of fatigues. 
So when they're, when they're not in the middle of an evolution, they're all standing around a 55-gallon barrel that they have to keep a fire going 24-7, and they're all drying out their clothes, right? Wow. They're all butt naked, drying their clothes out, right? Wow. And it's male, female, and they're on camera, right? Wow. So they spend a lot of time drying their clothes because before when they show up to their next evolution, they show up to the grinder. They're in formation with their 47-pound rucks on, ready to go, and they better be dry every single time. And so they spend the nights also drying their clothes out, and that's where sleep deprivation kicks in, right? So they have their tasks around the camp. They got to keep the camp clean. They have to keep the galley clean. They have to keep their birthing clean. They have to make sure that their clothes are dry. They have to make sure that their latrines literally are your old school shitters, right? They have to, they have to basically sawdust and bag up their poop every single day. Wow. You know, they are living and breathing a World War II style barracks, right? No modern technology at all. There's no showers. <laughs> There's no showers. There's just a bucket of water, right? And it's outside right in front of the camera. So they have to strip down naked and take a shower with a bucket of water. <laughs> oh my. I mean, it's gosh. insane, man. And uh, does anyone and quit first day? Us. What's that? Does anyone ever quit like first day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first day. First day, there was a pop star. She had like a, a huge hit globally. I can't, I, hell, I don't even remember her name at this point, but you know, she was like, I'm out of here. Like, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> had she not yeah, watched she, the show? I wonder. It's kind of like those people that show up in buds and quit the first day. You know, like, did you not do yeah. any research into this? Did you not like watch one yeah. YouTube video, especially today? Uh, yeah. Why is this a shocker to you? Yeah, no, they're, they're, uh, they quit like flies, man. It's like, oh yeah, the system works. Even at, even, even in 14 days, the attrition rate was exactly the same as buds or, you know, SAS selection. I mean, you know, you, you start with 20 and you end with three, right. In 14 days. Yeah. Pretty, What's their uh, incentive to keep going? Like they were like, uh, you know, their followings or like their, like, well, it's, uh, the incentive is, I believe there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a payment program. The further they make it, the more money they make. Hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it's they just want to be able to to complete it, okay. right? As a celebrity, they want to be able to yeah, check the box. I I took it all the way to the end. I didn't quit. Huh. So, okay, so it's not like they're going to go to the SEAL teams after that. They're not going to SAS and going to operate overseas and kick right. the doors and jump out of planes. So I'm just kind of, you know, curious what that incentive is. Interesting. Yeah, rite of passage, you know, mm-hmm. for themselves, for for their fan base, whatever it is, you know, it's like I just want to. They just want to see if they've got what it takes. You know, dude, I tell you and, what, uh, th- that's missing in society today is that, uh, is that crucible is, you know, test at uh, that test. Cause unless you seek it out, unless it's uh, inherently within you, which it is, I think in most of us, but it just gets kind of tamped down a bit, uh, because going through a crucible has been part of getting acceptance into society from the beginning of time. And only recently yeah. have you not had to do that. Um, you know, unless you seek out Marine boot camp, you seek out buds, you seek out the Q course, um, these different things that are going to test you um, in life. And maybe you don't even know that it's uh, it's something that has been going on from the beginning of time for people that are ages, let's say, you know, 16 to 20 or whatever, whatever it is uh, to test themselves, gain acceptance to that society, become a member of that society uh, and share a sh- and have a shared experience with others in that tribe, in that society. Um, like there's something to that. And I think maybe a lot of people when they get older and realize they missed that when they take a breath and kind of look back on life and 
become a little more introspective maybe and think, oh man, I wish I'd joined the military or whatever else. It might not be just that joining the military for service, but it might be that test to see, could I have done it? Um, and maybe that's where it ends in their head, but really it's the, could I have done it to become an accepted member of this tribe, a productive member of this tribe, a productive citizen in our you know, modern society. But uh, it's interesting. So I think maybe there is a little bit of that in there, whether they know it or not, um, because yeah. why would you at age 40 as a pop star or 30, whatever, uh, decide to then test yourself? It's because, well, maybe you really didn't think about it or didn't listen to that calling at age 16, 17, 18, 19. Um, so maybe that, yeah, there's, I think there's a little bit, a little bit, uh, of that in, in these shows, you know, provides them. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I think you're right. I think we even see it like with, you know, some of our fellow team guys that run these like team building events. Uh, you know, you get a lot of people signing up for it because they, 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 they just want to know, like, can I pull this off? Can I do it? Or it's internally, like they just want to go through something very difficult to test their will so that on the back end, they come out maybe a better person or have a, or learn to appreciate the things they have in their life. Because as you know, buds, I mean, being cold, wet and sandy for six months straight makes you really appreciate, you know, the smallest little things or a deployment, right? Yeah. You go on a deployment, you come back to the States and you're like, oh my God, whatever it is. It could be yeah. for some people, it's like a burrito from their favorite like yeah. taco shop down in IB. Right. You know, you're like, oh, I missed this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't realize how good it was, you yeah. know? it's So I think everyone has their own approach and reasoning, but I, I, but I personally feel everyone needs to do it. And yeah. it kind of anchors to a, a quote that I, I, I can't remember if I heard it or if I coined it, but it's, you know, very few serve, but most serve themselves, mm. right? And it, every person at a certain age may realize like, wow, all I've been doing is serving myself my entire life, right? Which is a majority. Yeah. They just look out for themselves. They don't look out for anyone else and they don't go serve for the greater good. Yeah. And I think it's those that they, when they have that moment, that's also a reason to go test themselves and maybe try to go do something right. that's beyond them, you know? And I think it's important. Everyone goes and does something beyond them. Uh, you know, even if it has a selfish outcome, you know what I mean? I think it's just a good thing to do. Yeah. No, there's something about that test. Um, that's important as far as, uh, you know, your life journey, but man, this book, rugged life, modern guide to self-reliance. So you have yeah. a bunch of books out now. Um, what was, uh, what was timely about this one? And my, you know, I don't know if it, if it's, uh, you know, factored in COVID civil unrest, contentious election cycle and political season, people moving out of the cities, realizing that, uh, uh, Hey, maybe if when I call nine one one, um, someone might not be there, uh, and coming to this realization, you know, which is most of human history, you've not been able to call nine one one. Most of human history, you've had to step up and protect yourself and your family and your community. Um, but now we're accustomed to it. We can outsource that. Same thing with, uh, you know, with the military, same thing with, uh, putting food on the table for yourself and your family and your community, very slim portion of human history. Have you been able to go to the grocery store and, uh, just assume that there's always going to be things on the shelves. Uh, and there's been a, there's a little bit of wake up call there, especially at the beginning of COVID a lot of uncertainty there, but did that play into this being the next, uh, the next book you were going to write, or was it just 
you saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put together, uh, some of this, some of these, some of these lessons, and I'm interested in getting better at some of these things myself, or, uh, what was, what, what kicked this one off for you? Yeah. The rugged life is, is really all of the above of what you mentioned. You know, it was, I, I, Hunter Daily Skills, I love learning new things. I love throwing out the, uh, the infotainment of it all so that it keeps safety, security, and survivability at the forefront of people's mind. Um, some of it is usually boring and I try to make it creative, even mm-hmm. sometimes taboo with like, you know, how to dispose of a body and the kind of the fun <laughs> stuff I've added into the books over right. the years. But yep. ultimately it's to get people thinking and give people a resource that they can leverage. Even if they don't go do any of it, at least they've got it on their shelf. It's tangible. It's real. It's a book. The power goes out. They've got something they can reference. But Rugged Life definitely was bred out of the pandemic, right? Toilet paper shortage right off the bat told me, wow, this country has no idea how to survive. That's what we're worried about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but you mentioned everything else, you know, the, the virus was the direct cause, but we had like dozens of indirect effects, right? Yeah. And that was supply chain issues, economic downturn, all of the social unrest, people moving out of the cities going, all right, I want to be independent again, forget this, you know? Right. And I realized, yeah, I've been providing skills where you survive seconds, minutes, hours, and days, mm. But I really hadn't provided something that tells people how to just kind of make it a lifestyle, right? Projects that actually lend to your daily nutrition, your hygiene. Like these are basic things that every American used to to do and used to know how to do, but we've kind of forgotten it. I I call this, even though it's called rugged life, it's like lost dad skills because there's a lot of dads not teaching things anymore. And so this book kind of supplements what a father may not have taught their kids. Yeah. And um, and so anyway, I wanted to be able to put something out there that kind of gave a broad overview yeah. of different aspects of a self-reliant lifestyle, you know, and self-reliance in itself um, kind of insulates you from global crisis, right? The more reliant you are, the less all these things we've been dealing with actually mm-hmm. affect you. Right. Because you'll be like, supply chain issues doesn't affect me. Yeah. I make my own shampoo. <laughs> yeah. I make <laughs> my know? own goat cheese for the salad I that I just own- grew in my greenhouse. I mean, I love this book. This thing is awesome. You sent me an early copy, which is right here behind me uh, to take a look at. And then uh, and then this one is the actual um, actual copy. But uh, man, I love this. I love the bees. I think I'm going to have somebody because I put honey in my coffee and so does my protagonist in the novel. Um, so, but I think I'm going to have somebody come up and like teach me and make, make sure I put them in the right place and do all that stuff and get the, Yeah. my wife has already told me, she's like, all right, if you're on book tour or whatever else, she's like, I'm not dealing with the bees. Like I'm not, I can't call and say, <laughs> go get the honey out. I'm not doing it. So, uh, but uh, that's always been fascinating to me, but there's so many, so many cool things in here talking about the different kind of rabbits. And I mean, I love this book. Um, it'd be a great thing for a dad to take out and like, Hey, one a week, we're going to cover one thing a week. And there's projects in here. Um, I mean, this thing is like goats right here, chicken. I mean, all of this stuff is like, let's say 1875. Guess what? You didn't need this book. Because you had to know how to do everything in here uh, in order to survive. Um, and yeah. all those things were, were passed down. It was just a normal part of life. 
uh, particularly on the frontier, frontier if you're heading if you're heading west. Um, but man, this thing is fantastic. What uh, it, look at this shipping containers building? All, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I love also I love the calendars you know that you have. Like although I don't know if you still have them or not, but those calendars you pull off every day with that. Oh, how to dispose of a body today? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the cards, like everything that you do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of all of it. But uh, when you were doing this, like what? stood out to you the most as far as, oh man, I really need to work on that. Or what did you incorporate into, into your life from doing this research? Yeah, I think what the realization I had is that you have preppers and, and really a prepper buys stuff and stores it yeah. waiting for the, you know, the, 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 the apocalypse, right? And the beauty of when you actually go visit people who are on grid, off grid, as part of my research, you know, um, even our our mutual friend Bill Rapier, right? Yeah. I, I went hung out, had the pleasure of hanging out with his family, and I reference him in the book pretty regularly because they do a lot of self reliance stuff. I went to several other families. Uh, all of them have a different way of doing things, but they're all doing mm. doing what I think everyone should should have at least a backup plan to do. Right? Yeah. Primary. I'm I'm by no means saying hey buy some land, build your own house, buy some chickens and some goats. What I'm saying in this book is have the knowledge, have the skills as a backup plan or as an option to your primary. Your primary is, yeah, I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to have it delivered to my door. I'm going to go on the Starbucks app and then Starbucks is going to be ready before I even get there, mm. right? Those are great primary, but what's your backup? What's your other option? And most people don't have that. And so, what I learned traveling was like, whoa, like they, they've got, they've got it all figured out, right? Like they've got their own water sources. I, I can't even imagine like, okay, the, you have off grid, like imagine a world of no grid. We hear on grid, off grid, but imagine no grid at all. Like what happened here in Texas, you know, several, a couple of winters ago where the entire grid failed. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden and you don't have a backup plan, like you're screwed. And that's why there was deaths during that. You know what I mean? Like we had multiple deaths across the date, across the state because people didn't have the other option or the backup plan figured out. So the rugged life is, is all about giving you that broad spectrum, holistic approach to backup plans and other options. And that's what I, that's what I realized the most is everyone, these homesteaders, they, that's their primary. So yeah. that's why nothing will ever affect them. And that's when I realized, whoa, I don't even have that. <laughs> I rely on the grid. Yeah. You know, and I didn't have a backup plan. So now I do. You know, it's like, hey, I know that a thousand square foot roof with gutters on it with one inch of rain will collect over 600 gallons of water for free. Wow. Right. I put the mathematical equation in there. So you can go out and do the square footage of your roof plug that into the equation and then you'll know how many gallons of water your roof collects in one inch of rain. And who would have thought, right? Thousand square feet, one inch of rain, 600 plus gallons of free water. Wow. All you got to do is figure out how to contain it, yeah. but you don't have to figure it out. I put it in the book. So, <laughs> so get the book. don't like, tell anybody they got to get the book. <laughs> you want to survive, like you'll that, get this book. I was, just, I was I was fascinated by that. I was like, whoa, I didn't even know that, right? Yeah. 600 gallons of free freaking water. Amazing. I mean, smoking meat. We're doing that right now outside. That's, hey, I'm wearing the shirt. 
Kansas City Meat Company, cattle company. We're uh, yeah. we're smoking some meat outside right now. Uh, a wagyu brisket out there right now. Actually, it's on the uh, on the smoke. But yeah, uh, that sounds good, buddy. Yeah, man. But I love all. I mean, I love all this, and it's a great thing for you know, pick one for dads to do with their kids. I think that's it, it's great there. I'm gonna try to do some of these things with my little guy when he gets back from from camp. The root cellar. I love that. I mean, gosh, so much cool stuff in here, and I love this right here. The three basic skills: knowing how to build, knowing how to farm knowing how to hunt. Like that's most that's of human history. Like you've, yeah. <laughs> you've got to be able to do those things and defend yourself. Um, uh, otherwise you're not going to be around much longer. Uh, yeah. Uh, gosh, amazing. So much, so cool. And did you, uh, did you read, is there an audio book of this? There is. Yeah. Did you I read, it? read it? And as you know, that's a freaking torture. Well, I don't know if you've read yours, but I've read mine. It's a torture chamber of nightmares. I can't stand it. <laughs> About an hour ago, I did my first read in the closet over there. We hung, um, clothes everywhere to be, to absorb the sound. We got the mic set up in there and I read the new forward, actually this right here. I read the new forward that I wrote for the terminal list. So this one came out with Chris Pratt on the cover. The Dude, cover. that is so cool. Ah, crazy. Crazy. That's when you know you've you, you you've made you already made it a long time ago, but that's that's that right there. What you're holding in your hand is your own book with a major Hollywood star on the front of it. It's like, yeah, you've made it. Well, you're, uh, I never think of things author, in those terms, but uh, I sure uh, am appreciative of uh, of everything. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, but I wrote a new forward for it. How the book came to be, um, and uh, and how the series came to be. So I wrote that, and then just the other day, I was like, hey, you know what? I should maybe read that. And so we set it all up in here and just recorded it just right before I came, jumped on with you. And dude, it's tough. I, and I yeah. wrote it and I'm having, I'm like, ah, and you get to a name and you're like, oh man, have I been pronouncing that person's last name wrong for the last year or two years? And you're like, you know, trying to figure it out. The director is on the other end of the line, trying to look up like an interview on YouTube yeah. to see how they're saying their name. And, you know, so there's that. And man, it's just saying the peas <laughs> into the mic and just stumbling around. Like it is, I am going to call Ray Porter who reads my books. Uh, he's the narrator. I'm going to call him later today and just, I've thanked him profusely over and over again, but I'm going to let him know now I realize how hard it is. And then especially when I throw in a bunch of military acronyms or I uh, have a character with say a Russian accent, but I don't mention it till paragraph two <laughs> or something like that in the conversation. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, so I'm going to call him and be like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Like it is so tough to be in that room by yourself, just reading and scrolling. And uh, you know, it's just, yeah. So anyway, I can, so you've read all your books. I've only read two of them. Okay. Um, but I got to say, like, I, I can't stand it. It's, uh, it's tough. I get, you go to, so for me, they, what they'll do is they'll contract a studio here in Dallas. Yeah. I'll go to that studio. You sit in a sound booth, you have your sound producer or engineer, yeah. uh, on the other side of the wall, there's a, there's a window so you can see each other. You're sitting in a chair. They've got an iPad set up with your manuscript microphone and, Everything is, I mean, it's, they nuke it, right? Your mouth can't, has to be the same exact distance the from that time. microphone the whole time. And you're talking eight hour days for five days straight, right? And, and then you have two other producers that are in your ears, right? That are, that are locked in from New York, yeah. right? From, for this book, it was Penguin Random House, right? Yeah. So they're on and they're listening to every single word you say. Yeah. And if you don't pronounce it, then they go, stop, stop, stop. Yep. Uh, can you yep. start from the top again? You'll start reading and then, oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, we just need you to, can you just go ahead and go do the whole page over again? 
Wow. And so every couple of seconds you're getting, and then what you mentioned, pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Like this one guy I had, man, and here I talk about, you know, how women can make their own female products, right? In the be your own homemaker section, be your own homemaker covers female products, shampoo, you know, all the things you can make from coconut oil for crying out loud. It's, It's awesome stuff. But this guy was like, I need you to pronounce. I've always said menstruation cycle. So he's like, no, menustration. And I'm like, menustration? Like that doesn't even sound right to me. Menustration. I'm like, can I just say it my way? No. Menustration. Menustration. And he just, and finally, I, now I don't even know how to say the word anymore yeah. because he totally screwed it up in my brain. <laughs> so, wow. Like, I make a point never, like to, I make that. a point never to say that word. Like, so I don't, never, <laughs> yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I oh. went through and, and I, and I am really good at butchering words. So I was probably that guy's nightmare because I just, I'm just horrible at pronouncing stuff. I kind I of mumble so. through things. No, you don't. I mean, you have a great voice. You have a great presence. Like, I, I, you, I think you'd be like a dream narrator um, for your own work. <laughs> yeah, no. Man. Uh, not so much, buddy. Well, not so much. <laughs> I mean, well, I understand what you're saying because it's uncomfortable in there. You're reading and then some easy sentences. I was messing up. Like, how do I keep missing, messing this up? You know, going back. Or I have put like in this, this one, in this, uh, I talk about all the terrorist events of the 80s really that were impactful to me. And there were a lot. And, you know, I just have these commas in there breaking all of them up essentially from 1979 to, to 89, I think is what I cover. And, uh, and I'm reading them and I'm like, you know, I'm not in the best shape of my life right now, but I should be able to read a paragraph without getting out of breath, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh God. That's funny. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I have a lot more respect for people that read their own work because um, if they haven't done it before, they're probably in for a wake-up call when they sit down and realize how difficult it is to go through a 80,000, 100,000, 120,000 word uh, manuscript oh, yeah. and read that and how much time it takes, um, especially when you're dealing with the pronunciations or, or whatever else. And then, I mean, oftentimes in my books, I don't even know how to pronounce some of the names. I read it. Like I look up, okay, I need a, a Russian name or I need somebody with uh, from Iran. Uh, okay. And I'm looking up these different names and seeing what's going to fit, but I don't pronounce them. I see them visually. Uh, and I say, okay. And then I look at, okay, he doesn't want this to end in the same letter as this other character over here or start there. Okay. I'll use this and that, but I don't say it. So then yeah. when you actually say it, it's a different deal. Cause you got to make sure you're saying it right. Um, right. Uh, you're in, in no doubt. And you know, what's funny too. And I, I know you've noticed this is what you write may read well, but it may not actually speak well. Right? Case in point, the title <laughs> of my debut novel uh, for a year, I never said this out loud. I was work, just working on it. Looks great. The terminal list. If you say the two L's together, they blend. So after the year of working on this thing, I finally say it out loud for the first time. And I'm like, the terminal list. I'm like, wait, a terminal list. And it like, I'm like, dang it. But I love the title. But when you say it, it's, it's exactly what you said. It reads differently then it sounds if you're to say it, especially yeah. if you don't make the break. And, you know, uh, I always listen to the actors that are in their interviews for the terminal list show on Amazon. And I'm like, how's Chris saying it? How is Taylor saying it? And when they come up to say the name, I'm always like, you know, I go on a little, little listen a little closer yeah. and they do a great job. Uh, Taylor Kitsch. All yeah. you, need is a little, you need a little, little pause. pause. Yeah. Taylor Kitsch yeah. in particular is, uh, plays <laughs> Ben Edwards is awesome at it. Like he, he was, he yeah. was great. But, uh, but if they haven't said it before, 
uh, only read it in a script and you get on set and they're doing their lines and everything and never said it, but then they're in the interview and they have to say it as part of the press junket. I'm always like, mm, who's going to say it in a way that, you know, like who's going to recognize that these two L's are together and not be shocked. Um, yeah, so it, yeah. is, it is an interesting experience to, to do the reading. That's for sure. It is man. Hard work. Yeah, no, crazy, crazy. And then you, but you also have the podcast. So you're used to, I mean, sitting down, how many, you have a lot of episodes of the podcast out. I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it's awesome. I love it. You're doing, you're crushing it. You have great guests on there. You have great questions. You put people in scenarios. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's different than just sitting down and having a conversation. That's a huge component of it. But then you also have this, uh, have these scenarios, uh, in there. So how's that, how's it working on the, on the podcast? Yeah, it's doing good, man. As you know, like, like I said, you know, at the beginning of my job, I feel like since retirement has been, you know, how do I deliver safety, security, and survivability in a fun, entertaining way that keeps it at the forefront of everybody's mind, especially with active shooters and everything that's going on in the world. It's like, I feel like just continuing that through the podcast is yeah. just a, a variant in a different medium, obviously, than writing books or for what I do for my corporate clients, right? And um, so, yeah, so far, you know, it's a, it's a 90 minute, you know, kind of uh, format. The first part is the rapid fire, which you've gone through. I try to make that fun yep. and I try to customize it to the guest. Uh, the second part is who you are, past, present, future, you know, so that we get to know the person. And then the third part is the game, right? It's a, uh, it's a choose your own adventure, kind of A, B, yeah. A, B, you know, pick the right answer or you die. And it determines right. whether or not you survive the podcast, why it's called, can you survive this podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I, I mean, I, I enjoy it. And the beauty of it too, is I don't need like big names, you know, like I actually enjoy like, you know, the more of the up and coming people uh -huh. that nobody knows about right. because they tend to have like these experiences that no one's actually heard before. Right. You know, it's like the first time they're talking about it, which right. is super cool to me. And that's where I get to learn even more. Um, from my guests, you know, yeah. if you talk to someone who's already done a thousand podcasts and the odds are you probably already heard the stories. Right. Yes. You know, that means your listeners are hearing the story again for the thousandth time, right. you know? So I kind of enjoy getting people, especially the new ones. Like I've got a lot of folks from over in Australia that have been coming nice. on like yeah, yeah. the next, he's the next, he's going to be the next world champion here in, uh, in, uh, October. But, you know, just having those variety of folks, you know, that it's like super fun, super cool. And it's and and the reason you do it, right? It's interesting and getting to know people and hearing their views on things. Yeah, it's fun because then you also get to put the phone down. I turn off. There's no computer in here beeping at me with emails, um, and it's just us, you know. And very very rarely these <laughs> yeah. days do you actually do that. You know, if we we're to if we were to be together right now, you know, going to grab a beer or whatever else, like we'd have our phones on us, and someone would be texting about something yeah. and we'd be talking about, oh, oh, yeah. hold on, hold on. Uh, I can get back to that person or, oh geez, I gotta, I gotta take this one or, you know, whatever. I gotta respond to this just real quick. Hold on. You know? So, uh, that's also why I like going on trips with the kids where there's no Wi-Fi and no cell service. So those are typically hunting trips or those are getting on, uh, getting to the bottom of a river Canyon and going on a river rafting trip for a week. Uh, all your stuff is right there. River, River rafting is great because you can bring some of the comforts of home with you. It's not on your back. You know, <laughs> you have a big Yeti cooler there full of, full of beer and wine and everything else. Um, but you can have a great experience and there's no set, no threat of me looking at my phone for a second, having my little guy wanting to say something to me and be, me being like, Oh, hold on one sec. I just gotta, I just gotta send this really quick. That doesn't exist. I know, man. You know, so I love going hunting and I love going to the bottom of the river canyons with the kids. 
for that reason. Um, but this is like another, this is like an artificial version of that because it forces us to put the phones down and turn the computers off and we just get to hang out for, for a little bit and catch up. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew you were doing the Australia thing and I knew you were in quarantine down there. Had no idea about the crazy uh, flight <laughs> to get there or uh, exactly <laughs> what you did on the show because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm so excited to to watch it and I got to get the VPN going again and uh, and go and watch uh, watch some of these episodes. Uh, and then I hope it does come to the States, you know, because it's and it is a really cool format. And uh, those guys are so interesting. Um, and I think people over here are fascinated with the SAS and the SBS anyway. Um, so I think it's a great combination to bring to bring to this country. Yeah, I think so. I think it's coming and uh, it'll be the, uh, you know, because now there's two teams, right? There's the UK team, you know, with the two originals, Billy and Foxy are running that UK version. Meanwhile, Ant and Ollie and myself, and we're running the Aussie version. And my, my guess is there's going to be, you know, other, that format will start to extend into yeah. the other countries with their special operation guys rep okay. that represent that country. Yeah. You know, that's where I see, you know, just in my very elementary view of the whole thing. Cause yeah. it's, it, cause it is such a great format. That's, yeah. that's the key to success, you know? Oh man. Too cool. Yeah. Too cool. And what else do you have going on? So you got, so the book is out. SAS Australia is coming out. You're still doing all your corporate security stuff. Um, yeah. you got hundred deadly skills. You got the, you got all your, all your businesses going. You got a lot going on. How do you prioritize? Yeah. You know, it's like the same as you, right? We just, you go, you, you find yourself saying yes to a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and it's, it's difficult to say no. I think it's, I always connect it to the new guy mentality, right? It's, you show up 15 minutes early, you stay late, you volunteer for everything, keep your mouth shut and your ears wide open, right? Mm. And for me, I felt like a new guy all the way up until the day I retired. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, and, and, and then that same kind of mentality has continued out here where I'm like, fuck, man, I'm like saying yes, yes. Okay, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. You know, and um, what happens though in this world is you things start falling off the plate. Yeah. Um, and so what I've, I've done is backed off and I try to focus now just on the things that I actually enjoy, the things that actually make you happy, you know, and start cutting the fat really. And, uh, and so since I've started doing that, it's starting to get more streamlined. I notice that I'm, you know, actually more motivated to do stuff. Cause I, well, I don't know if you do, but I have my moments, man, this transition it's up and down, you know, it oscillates and, uh, the transition isn't a one day thing. It's not a one week, one month, one year. It's, it's constant, right? Uh -huh. You, the pivot is, is in slow motion <laughs> to kind of really truly be a civilian again. And so here I am, what, six years retired and you know, I still have those days where I'm kind of like, oh man, you know, like just get up, get your workout done and get to work. And then by the end of the day, I'm back normal again. You know, I'm like, okay, all right. That was good. All right. Wake oh, up the next morning. Okay. Let's do it again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you face any of that, but you know, I have my moments. That's all. Oh man. Yeah. You know, I think it's just uh, like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I recognized it early on, well, early on in life. And then when I got to the end of my time, cause we got out at about the same time and been out about the same time. Um, but I recognized it and was like, in my head, I made that transition. Like I was a you know professional special operator 
uh, profession of arms. And now I'm not. Now I'm a professional writer. And even as I traveled to Mozambique a couple months after I got out to do the research for my second novel, even though I hadn't even set the first one to Simon & Schuster yet, they have that customs form. And I'm flying into either, either South Africa or then the flight to Mozambique. I can't remember which one, but um, it had that uh, occupation line. And I wrote down writer or author. I have a picture of it on my phone, which was then on a hard drive, so not in the cloud. So I got to go find it in one of these hard drives somewhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it was like in my mind, and I got that from Stephen Pressfield in one of his books on on creativity. Uh, of course, he wrote Gates of Fire, Legend of Bagger Vance, Afghan Campaign. Oh yeah, um, those books uh, on creativity. Mandatory style. reading, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then uh, the War of Art is the one that really kicks off his uh, series on creativity. But he has one of those books called Turning Pro, and really all of them kind of say the same thing in a different way. And that's, hey, sit down and do the work. And one of the books is actually called Do the Work. Um, you know, don't procrastinate, sit down and do it. You have to do it. You might not succeed even if you do the work, uh, but you definitely won't if you don't do the work. But in Turning Pro, he talked about making that decision uh, very consciously to then become a professional at something. Like not, oh, I hope I can be a writer one day. I'm just going to dabble or like, no. And I, in my head, I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can flip this switch and I can leave the military and I can become a professional writer. And in my head, even though I've never published anything, or I am now a professional author. So in my head, I, I thought of myself that way as soon as I got out. So I think the transition for me, uh, I don't like the term easy, but it's, uh, it was, uh, it made sense. Uh, it had more vision to it. Yeah. You, well, you, I think that's where you've done, obviously you're a very well-read guy and a very well-read person usually makes for a very good author. You know, you, you have to read in order to be good at writing. And I think that's the first, the first piece. And I think I got that. My, my version of motivation for writing was Stephen King's On Writing. Yeah. It was one of the funniest books I've read, but it was also the way he spliced in how he writes books. Yeah was just phenomenal. Oh, you know, yeah. I minus minus the lines and lines of cocaine and writing Cujo in 72 hours, you know. <laughs> I do think about that sometimes when I'm exhausted. <laughs> I know, that, not the best lesson to draw. Uh, but if you realize, you know, what was happening in his life at the time, you know, you, maybe you won't take yeah, that yeah. step. But it, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm like, hmm, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. yeah, coffee is a much better alternative <laughs> to cocaine. That's what, I, that's what I've gone with, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coffee, uh, Fruit Loops. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Pepper and uh, pretzels. <laughs> those, <laughs> yeah. those are my secret ingredients. And uh, also coffee in the morning, bourbon at night. And you, but if you flip those two, then you maybe want to take a breath and like reevaluate some of your uh, some yeah, of the things yeah. That, yeah. Things no, yeah, it was Stephen King. I don't think people know just how funny that guy is. The stories in that in that it, it still stands out to this day. I've read it like three or four times because some of the times was the entertainment value. The other mm -hmm. time was like, what did he say again? Oh, right. thousand words a day, thousand words a day. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going thousand words a day. Do I really need to stick to that? Because <laughs> It's a very yeah, helpful guy. Sometimes I don't have a thousand words to write a day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's a very helpful guideline for sure. That thousand words a day, no doubt about it. Um, I probably need yeah. to read that book again. Uh, now that I have these five books working on the sixth, um, we're had these screenplays and all that. I should probably read that book again and see if I take any other lessons from it. Cause at the time I read it, same thing. I was reading it. Yeah. Entertainment value, see what lessons I can pull obviously. But the way he wrote that as essentially an autobiography, um, was, uh, was brilliant. And then you're yeah. right when he gets hit by that van and he survives and he's on the side of the road and he opens his eyes and he looks up the way he describes the person who hit him in the van, who's sitting on the rock. And I've only read it once, but I distinctly remember this. And this is 
Yeah. Um, like 15 years ago, I read it maybe. And uh, he's sitting on a rock and he thinks, oh my gosh, I just got killed by a character from one of my novels or something along those lines. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm reaching back yeah. in the memory banks here. But uh, but yeah, I mean, hilarious. No, you're and, right. Thank God he survived. But geez. Yeah. And who would have thought, I mean, like the stories between him and his brothers, I mean, I literally laughed out loud. I don't laugh out loud with books. You know what I mean? Like that one made me laugh out loud, especially once he got into the cocaine Cujo 72 hour cocaine. He doesn't remember writing it, right? Is that something else? Doesn't he like not remember? Like, yeah. Or he would, yeah, he would do these benders and like, you know, the green mile, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and then put the manuscript in his drawer and then find it two weeks later and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he likes to do that anyway. He likes to step away, if I remember correctly, for yes. a, a period of time and then come back to it. I think that's uh, kind yeah. of part of his, uh, you know, his, his formula. His process. Journey. Yeah, process. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He, he writes, he puts it away, comes back fresh a couple of weeks later and then goes through his rewrite or his editing or whatever he's doing, you know, and it's right. Yeah, there's a lot to be taken from that, you know, as far as lessons, but that's that was definitely the standout guide for me. And I've I've always anybody who says, Hey, I want to write, how do you get start? I'm like, go read that book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a good one to go and because it's entertaining. It's an yeah. I need that entertainment way to learn. I can't yeah. just go write a, you know, writing for dummies. Like there's no way I can't right, read right. something like that, you know. But if it's entertaining and it's telling stories, but blended in and it's teaching you something, dude, I'm sold. That's that wins for me every time. Nice. And that's what you do. I mean, all your books are, are like that, you know, and how many do you have out now? I mean, it, it seems like there's quite uh, a few. So we'll see. Hunter Deli Skills is brown is four plus this is five. I'm working on Hunter Deli Skills. The next one come out spring of uh, 23. Wow. Um, so yeah, you know, it's really, I, I think I, what I did is I said, Hey, I'll just do a, you know, I'd like to do as long as it, you know, people enjoy it a book per year yeah, and just keep the skills going. That's my, I, I love learning them and I love putting together and making it simple for people to grasp. You know, that's the best part of it is like, how do I make something complicated, super simple for people to understand? I think that's the, that's the best part of the book of putting it together. Oh man. Ah, oh, well, man, yeah. thank you for for writing these things. And thank you for uh, always answering my call when I'm like, oh man, I need something to know something about phones or breaking into a, this thing or that, you know, oftentimes <laughs> before I call you, I'll go look and see if you've talked about it before. I'll go to one of your books and then I'll be like, all right, James Reese can do that, you know? And then I like call you <laughs> to check up and make sure nothing's happened in the meantime from since you've written this, that you've learned and, and all that. Yeah. So man, thanks for always being so available uh, oh, and so, so helpful. And I, uh, man, I sincerely appreciate it. It's an honor to be part of the uh, Jane Marie story. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you as a SEAL. I'm proud of you as a writer. Obviously, you're an inspiration to anybody who gets into this world. As, as taboo as it is to our community, I think you are now kind of changing the mindset. You know, I hope that I am too, because I'm doing skills. You're doing these great fictional action stories. And I think, it, I think the community has hopefully can learn from that, that, Hey, it doesn't always have to be like, you know, telling more stories to make money. There's other, other, we can all write in different ways, you know, and, and share our creativity and hopefully be, you know, still be respected by our peers. Cause you, as you know, that's like a big deal for us. And it's, uh, uh, and the further you're out or the longer you're out, the further you get away from like worrying about it, right. you know? And I'm sure it's the same for you. Like longer you're out, like whatever, you know, if someone doesn't like what I'm doing, that's their problem, not mine, you know? Yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah. You think about it on the way out. You know, you certainly think about it on the way out, especially at the time that we that we got out with a lot of the controversies that were <laughs> that were out there, a lot of things that were coming to a head at the time with uh, with seals in the limelight. But you know, it was there, but I didn't want it to occupy my head as far as taking up bandwidth. I wanted all my bandwidth to go into making the story the best that I could possibly make it. Um, so I put that aside and it was still there a little bit. It's not there at all anymore. Um, but in those initial days as I'm writing because of <laughs> what, what the, at that time frame in particular. Um, so I did think about it a little bit, but at the same time I thought, you know what, I'm not going to let some, some admiral that, uh, I don't respect anyway, uh, dictate, my next chapter in life because I'm worried about a memo he's going to send to the rest of the SEAL community about me writing books or someone writing books or SEALs writing books or special operators writing books. Um, I'm not going to let him dictate the rest of my life. This is a passion. And, uh, and I wanted to do this since I'm a little kid. I was a professional special operator and now I'm a professional writer. This is what I do. And, uh, this is what I want to do. And I'm not going to let some, some admiral or some, uh, let's say a captain in the Navy, a you know, colonel or something in the army, uh, <laughs> like, like dictate my next chapter in life because I'm worried that someone might not like it. Uh, yeah. there's always yeah. going to be someone who doesn't like what you do. Like no matter what you yeah. do, if you're out there and you put something out there to be judged. Uh, so even if it's subjective, like the show coming out, uh, like I said, there are people that are, uh, have already hated who have not seen it, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know? So that's just, that's, uh, that's, that's just everything. a part of it. That's with everything. Right. It's with everything. So you can't yeah. go through life scared. You get one ride on this planet. And I can either go through scared of what other people are going to think of me or scared of what some memo from SOCOM is going to, is going to say, you know, or I can just embrace this next chapter in life, do what I love doing and, uh, and, and not let that memo or that person occupy any part of my brain because what I owe my readers is the best story possible because now they're trusting me with their time. They're never getting that time back. And so this story has to be the best it can possibly be for however long they're in the pages or they're listening to it. And that's something I take extremely seriously because we do get that one ride and, uh, yeah. and trust in us with time. It's well said, man. And I try to follow the same principles and I feel like you especially are turning the tables on it. Because I think uh, in a very short period of time, you're going to have those same admirals calling you going, hey, buddy, can you hook me up? <laughs> it may have happened. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I know exactly. <laughs> I think we're all talking about the same same names. It's pretty interesting. Uh, you know. Pretty yeah. interesting. That's for sure. And uh, yeah. also interesting <laughs> is that, uh, you know, for these type of shows, you reach out to the military and there's a like a Hollywood division of the public affairs office from the Pentagon or something. And, uh, you know, you reach out, not me, but the probably the uh, production reaches out and says, hey, you know, we'd like to do something with like an Osprey or like, uh, you know, use Camp Pendleton or, or something along those lines. And uh, the Marine Corps was fired up to uh, to like help out one day. And then the next day, <laughs> negative. Uh, apparently, the the Department of the Navy was not so thrilled that I uh, blow an admiral up in his office um, in uh, in Coronado. So they did not help out with the publication with the uh, with the production of the terminalist <laughs> uh, coming to Amazon Prime here. But I like that better, you know, because then there's no strings attached, and it's back on yeah. you again. You're not reliant on anybody else except the team that you've put together to make this. And uh, you're not like, oh, you know, the military saying we can do this, but we have to then kind of like they did with the cane mutiny back in the day with Humphrey Bogart. They, yeah. uh, they put all these different restrictions on that, uh, that production. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't want that. I didn't want that. So when they, when they said, came back and said, no, we're not going to help. I was like, typical, good. Let's go do this. Uh, let's do this right. on our own. So yeah, uh, so that, that's kind of funny, but uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good, awesome. Man. Man. <laughs>
<laughs> All part of the journey. All part of the journey. Yeah, it is, man. You, you know, like they say, if if uh, if fifty percent love you and fifty percent hate you, then you're doing it right. Right? Okay. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> I don't know if they say it or not, but there's certainly something to it, especially today when uh, people are interested in the person behind the art, um, where there is a uh, platforms available to reach out and connect separate from the actual product. Like 1985, if we wanted to reach out to an author, how are we doing that? Maybe we can find out about their book tour somehow uh, because it's in the paper somewhere and we see it and they happen to be coming our hometown. And we can then go down there as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 14-year-old, we can ask our parents, whatever, go down and we can maybe ask them a question and say, oh, that guy was really cool. Or he seemed really well-informed when he talked about his book. Well, yeah, if you're not doing that, you had no connection to the person writing that book back then. But today, there is that connection. And if you walk too fine of a line, I think trying to please everybody and just worried, hey, if I tell you how I real, really feel about censorship, uh, well, I might lose a certain portion of this audience. Um, so I'm just going to walk this fine line and maybe my character is not going to have these different views. He's just going to do the job and just be this part of the, it's just going to be the story. And for me, I'm like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have views on things. My protagonist certainly does. And he has strong views on certain things. Uh, and if that's going to upset people, which it does, if you read the negative reviews on Amazon, um, it's, uh, hey, that's, that's, uh, that's part of life. But that also humanizes him. And I'm not going to walk through life afraid of what other yeah. people are going to think of my characters or of, uh, of me. So, and that's very freeing. It's very freeing, but it also resonates because people respect that you didn't just try to walk a fine line and please everyone because, oh, both, you know, the right and the left buy books or whatever it is. Um, your protagonist and you as a person can think through these different issues and, uh, and have, have opinions on them if you, if you so choose. Um, so, yeah. so there's that respect yeah. factor there too. Uh, I think that, but you didn't have an option. Point being, you didn't have an option in 1985. It was just the work. Today, it's more than that. Yeah, no doubt, man. You're tearing it up, Jack. Oh, Love man. It. Dude, thank you so much. But, thank uh, you so much but, for spending this hey, time with I me. I gotta say, Reese, okay, we can agree that he should have been an enlisted guy. I mean- he, Well, he, he all, started enlisted. He started enlisted. He started enlisted. You, you based officer. it on you, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Everybody's going to think a commander is a meat eater and come on, we know. That's why I always put that sniper thing in there. So people <laughs> know are like, oh, and, and it's very yeah, intentionally yeah. <laughs> in the first episode of the, the Amazon series. Very intentional that uh, an admiral says okay. uh, prior enlisted SEAL sniper or worked your way up to troop commander. Um, yeah, because you can't just yeah. have a, a normal officer running around doing these things. He'd have no idea. He like, okay. <laughs> he'd, yeah. He'd I, knew in, I knew in the I knew in the book and I was kind of hoping that in the show, because oh, all yeah. you see is the the uniform. Yeah. And every meat eater you and I both know oh, yeah. are all enlisted guys, not officers. You know, I'll say that uh, I could not have written a character that's just an officer running around doing these things because it wouldn't be believable. <laughs> Apologies to officers out there that maybe have taken the extra step and gone and trained on their own and and uh, and are, are actually competent. But uh, yeah, no, it's very important to be okay, a, a prior enlisted SEAL sniper and to say that in the uh, in the show. So that's uh, that's for you. That's for you. It's in episode one. <laughs> perfect thank that god is, awesome awesome <laughs> man, right, man. dude thank you so much uh for everything you do and love the book love everything you have going on out there and uh yeah ways to contact you and follow you and all that will be in the in the show notes here but uh man thanks so much for everything and i hope we can link up in person again soon you know been uh been too long so hopefully uh you'll pass through here or i'll pass by your way and we can uh can link up and hang out a little bit yeah, let's make it happen, brother. I appreciate you having me back on the show of course. and everything that you're doing. Continued success to you and uh, just, yeah, love it. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. You take care. See you soon.
A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Navy Federal Credit Union. I have been a member since 1996. There is my cue card right there. Man, Navy Federal has been with me every step of the way uh, while I was in the military for those 20 years and now that I am out and they've taken care of me, taken care of my family um, and have had nothing but the best experience with them. So to have them sponsor this podcast is, uh, well, it's humbling and I am, I am honored. Uh, becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more from everyday commutes to your next big vacation. The flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. Plus this premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel, meaning the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with a new car. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone, and it's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. Navy Federal has great rates on auto loans. Plus, with their car buying service powered by TrueCar, you can shop, compare, and get upfront pricing on your next new or used car. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. It is open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. All right, let's talk about 10,000.cc. So 10,000, awesome company. If you have tried their interval shorts or their tactical shorts, which these are right here, you know that you are not going back to anything else. These things are awesome. And uh, I got a pair of pants from them recently too. And man, amazing, amazing. Um, I've worn a lot of shorts over the years, obviously being a West Coast SEAL at Team 5 when I started out. So that was kind of the, the thing. Um, but I have worn a lot of shorts and these ones, hands down, the best. I mean, that's just how it goes. Uh, they were tested by over 50 special operations members in their testing phase. So it makes sense that they're awesome, but, uh, definitely try these out. Go to 10,000.cc, uh, follow them on Instagram. Same thing, 10,000.cc on Instagram. Uh, but go to the website, check it out. Super easy to order. Uh, there's not crazy amount of different options. So, uh, and then there's packages on there as well. I mean, they just do a fantastic job in all that they do. Free shipping, free returns, uh, go to 10,000 dot cc slash 
danger close for 15% off your order. You will not regret it. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, I'm starting right here with the Courtney boots. And if you've read the novels, then you know that Rafe Hastings is a fan of the Courtney's. This is what I wear when I go to Africa. This is a new set from African Sporting Creations. They are the only company that imports these from Africa. And uh, right there, African Sporting Creations. Thank you to Jim for uh, being such a dear friend over the years. And uh, it's been great to get you to, to know you better over the last couple of years. Love what you're doing. And uh, so cool. Love the knives. I mean, look at this. Check out these knives right there. Um, amazing. Amazing. So here's the boots. These I have. This is my third set of Courtney's and third pair of Courtney's, I should say. And look at that. What? Look at those bad boys there. Crocodile Brown. Oh yeah. Um, such a cool history with this company. And for me, as I'm writing the characters and the storylines, I use gear, uh, as you know, if you've read the books to help develop the characters, because it says something about them, uh, what they're wearing, how they're wearing it, what weapon they're carrying, uh, how they're carrying it says a lot about their background, their training, their mindset. And I use all of that to, uh, to help develop these characters. Some people don't like it very much. Some people get very offended when I get specific on that type of holster, uh, somebody's using or so the pistol someone's using, but you know what? That tells me a story about them in real life. And I use that to help develop these characters in the storyline. So right here, Courtney boots, and it comes in a cool box and you get these, the uh, uh, boot care package in here. Uh, and it, it comes here. You got some really, you can see that right there, but it's like newspaper type headlines. And then there's a newspaper in, in the bottom. If, uh, if it's the same as the other ones. And yes, there is, uh, that harkens back to, to old school days in Africa. So there it is right there. Courtney Boot Company, African Sporting Creations. Check them out. Follow them on the socials. What else? I'll do this one next. Qualo rings. Look at that right there. So I've been wearing this one right here. Um, it's a rubber silicone ring uh, from Qualo, Q-A-L-O, since 2017, I think I got this, this exact same one. And I'm a believer. My actual wedding ring is in the safe and I have worn this and I have rarely, if ever, taken it off since 2017. But you don't need to worry about uh, pull-ups or, or anything else. It's just, it's awesome. And they have a whole bunch of different kinds right here. So Q-A-L-O, you can see that. It says happy Father's Day right there. But they have a whole, all different sizes and colors and widths and all of that. Let's see what this one is right here. This one is another gray one right there. Oh, green. Ooh, look at that. So green one right here, but uh, go check them out. Q-A-L-O. Check out what they have going on over there. They do a lot of support for first responders, military, law enforcement. They have a bunch of different rings. There's a gray one right there, but a bunch of different rings that uh, uh, correspond to those different professions. So very cool. And lastly, here we go. What is this? What? My first Swiss army knife. Nice. So I just got this for our, our little guy right here. So uh, his first Swiss army knife and uh, he'll be getting this shortly. And uh, yeah, very cool. I remember getting my first one as a kid. And so this will be his. So pretty cool. Thank you for tuning into the Danger Close podcast. An Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Clint Emerson, go to clintemerson.com. Dot com. Check out what he has going on there. Follow him on the social channels. Check out Escape the Wolf and for sure get his latest book right here, The Rugged Life. If you like this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your 
podcasts. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. Officialjackcar.com is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there and go to jackcarusa.com for the merch. Until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.